Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Happy Friday, everybody. Happy November. I am on vacation after this, so let's do it. I am Jeff Snyder. Welcome to episode 18 of The Snyder Cut. This is the last episode before Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, uh, we'll see the unveiling of 1917. Every year I miss the big movie that gets premiered either the weekend before Thanksgiving or the weekend after Thanksgiving. I always miss it. This year it's 1917 and I'm bummed. I also missed Richard Jewell earlier this week. Uh, I just, guys, six months ago, I went on a little splurge. I bought a bunch of tickets to things. I took my girlfriend to the theater for Mike Birbiglia's new special, the new one. I took her to the Celtics game this week. Last night, we went to see Block Party at the Palladium. So I just haven't had time to hit my screenings. Uh, I, I know I'm messing up when John Rocha has seen a movie before me. He saw Richard Jewell last night and thought it was terrific. He thinks I'm going to love it. I've heard good things as well. Um, but yeah, regrettably missing those movies. Thankfully, I have been keeping up on the news, though. I have found time to do that. And let's start with the announcement from this morning. Just went up on Collider.com after breaking on deadline. There is a Michael Jackson biopic in the works. This seems like a really bad idea. I mean, on one hand... I get it because Michael Jackson has an incredible library. And, like, I I still listen to his music without shame. Like, you know, I'm not going to, you know, feel bad about listening to Michael Jackson's music, which is, you know, his gift to the world. He did some horrible things, allegedly. uh, But he also left us this gift. And, you know, I, I don't think you can just see these things in a vacuum. You can't appreciate the music in a vacuum. Um, but you can't just ignore, you know, years of good songs. But the point is that that's like a different thing. Me enjoying Michael Jackson. Graham King is the producer of Bohemian Rhapsody. And earlier this month, he actually put together a Bee Gees movie with Steven Spielberg and Stacey Snyder and the Gibb estate over at Paramount. So he's like become like this music biopic producer guy, which is a shame because he did, he was producing, you know, The Departed not that long ago, which I worked on. He was, I guess, you could say Graham King is is my old boss in a sense. Um, but he won Best Picture for that. Now he's doing these music biopics. We all know, like musicians lead some crazy lives. Uh, they don't all touch children, but you know they get caught up in, in sex and drugs and rock and roll and all that crazy stuff. But I have yet to really see like a, a biopic that that embraces everything warts and all like I, you can't the queen movie was compromised even though i thought it was better than rocket man the queen movie was compromised because the band queen was too involved in the development of the screenplay now in this michael jackson case john logan's going to write the screenplay and according to deadline uh the, the jackson estate is not going to be involved in the development of the script but i don't see how they just hand over the rights to make a Michael Jackson movie and to use all the music that you want to use, how do they do that without knowing what's going to be in the movie? I'm sure that there were some assurances made, despite all you know, Deadline's own promises that uh, you know this movie's going to take a complex look at the life of Michael Jackson and it won't be sanitized. And it's like, oh, so like which which Michael Jackson song are they going to use over the molestation scene? And I realize that he's never been found guilty in a court of law, so we have to use the word allegedly. But And, and you know, I didn't even see Leaving Never- Neverland. I never even saw the HBO documentary. It was a two-night thing. It was just it, I sort of know what we were getting there, and it seemed very depressing, and, and I just didn't really want to watch it. But I've also seen clips, and I've read excerpts of interviews and, and, and read reviews, and it's just these people, these guys sound very credible in, in their allegations. So it's weird to me that Graham King, who already has a Best Picture Oscar, you know, he already has all the money in the world, just produced the the most successful drama of all time in Bohemian Rhapsody. What is in it for him to make a Michael Jackson movie? I don't get it. Like, because then you could have people coming away from this movie being like, that Michael Jackson was a swell guy. And and you're just like kind of sweeping all this other stuff under the rug. Now, I don't know that that's what's going to happen. You know, maybe this will be a little bit more like straight out of Compton. I just have a hard time 
believing that the family would participate in a movie that, you know, even hinted at that kind of thing. And John Logan's a great writer and, and has his integrity, and I'm sure he wouldn't do it if he couldn't sort of tell the, the words and all story behind MJ. But I, I just I, I, I can't wait to see what studio has the balls to pick this thing up. And, like, our audience is going to be able to, to shell out their money and enjoy and sing along to these songs in the theater knowing that, that, that that's who they're cheering for, rooting on. or and Like, that stuff has to be in the back of their mind. Um, going to be very interesting to see what, if anything, comes of this. Again, you know, Fleming writes about development deals that we, we all do. And, and half these development deals, if not more, maybe even 70%, they're, they're not going anywhere. These things aren't happening. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see if this actually comes to fruition. It just seems so soon after leaving Neverland. Uh, yeah, like not even a year has passed, and now we're all like, okay, well, that was earlier this year, and now we're ready for the Michael Jackson biopic. Like, I don't know about that one. Might have to pump the brakes, let a little time pass. Um, not that, you know, any... P- amount of time will, will make his victims or his alleged victims uh, forget, you know, what he put them through. Um, let's talk about the Hollywood Reporter controversies from earlier this week. I woke up one morning and the THR had dropped two gigantic stories at like six in the morning, one about Joker 2 and the other about Lucasfilm and, and Kathleen Kennedy not being long for, for Lucasfilm. I mean... Neither story seemed ready for publication, and yet I think that there's an element of truth to both stories. You know, I, these were written by Tatiana Siegel and Kim Masters, who are two of the best reporters in town. Todd Phillips was really, he really got out there in terms of, like, shooting down the THR report. And it's like, we're talking about something that's probably an inevitability um, you know, Todd Phillips was kind of saying how it was premature and it, and it may have been, and honestly, it felt like the two, you know, if you were any good editor should always be asking their reporters, like, what are the hottest questions in town that need answering? And, and, you know, for the last couple of months, the last, you know, two questions have been, what is going on with Joker? This huge movie that, that's gigantic and, and successful, made a billion dollars. Like what is going on? Is there going to be a sequel? Is Todd Phillips coming back? Is Joaquin coming back? Blah, 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 blah. And then the others, you know, as Star Wars approaches and The Mandalorian hits, it's what is going on at Lucasfilm? What is the future of, does, of Lucasfilm look like, uh, especially with Kevin Feige coming on to do a Star Wars movie? So you have these two big questions, and, and th- these articles felt like an editor just being like, hey, what's going on with this right now? What's going on with this right now? Great. Now we'll print it. I don't know that either of these questions was ready to be answered on that particular morning. It seemed the articles almost seemed like snapshots of of where things stood in time. Now, Tatiana reported on some October seventh meeting between Todd Phillips and and uh, Toby Emmerich, and, and Todd was quick to say that meeting never happened. And Deadline is like, you know, that we've confirmed that no such meeting took place. Like this is a lie. This whole report is bogus. Like, okay, maybe that one specific detail may not have been completely accurate, but. I'm sure Todd Phillips has has been in the office of Toby Emmerich over the last few weeks. Like when you make a studio a billion dollars and you're traveling the world with them doing junkets and press and all this stuff and screening to screening. Like, yeah, eventually you, you talk and you're like, hey, you know, this just made us a ton of money and made me look good. Like, what can we do about getting another one? You know, what else can we do with you, Todd? Whatever it is. I'm sure that those conversations have happened. I mean, I, I think I know who Tatiana talks to, and I and I definitely know uh, who who Fleming talks to. I mean, Fleming's story might as well have had a byline by Todd Feldman at CAA. It was just so clearly from an agent, and so you know, here, here's the thing: like I did this Steven Soderbergh story, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. I did it earlier this week, and if you had asked the agents for any of those actors, they'd probably come back and say, "Look, like this isn't real. We don't have any contracts." There's no negotiations, blah, 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 blah. To them, it's not real because paper is real. Deals are real, not handshakes and, and word of mouth. But these actors have committed. 
verbally. You know, they, they've told Soderbergh, yeah, we're 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 ready to to carve out a slot in our summer and put some weeks aside, uh, you know, to do this. Whatever it is, we, we we're in. We want to work with you. We like the script. If they, if they've read it at this point, you know, so so they're in. They're attached. They're in talks. Or I think I use the phrase in discussions because talks. Talks seems a little bit more official. It kind of denotes a negotiation. Like talks are underway. This may, in this case it may not be talks. It may just be literally conversations have been had. So I do believe that element of, of Tatiana's Joker story. The part that I didn't believe, you know, like I know Todd had pitched this this DC dark kind of label. Um, it said that he had walked out with like the rights to, or, or wanting to make all these different origin stories about all these villains. Like, I don't know that that's Todd Phillips to me. Like he's never really been a director that you can put easily in a box. Um, There's always been a little bit more to Todd Phillips, I think, than meets the eye. I I mean, and and this guy believes in himself, like the same way with with the hangover where he deferred payment and and ended up making a ton on the back end. You know, that's what Tatiana claimed he did with Joker. And and it seems to have paid off. She says that he made about a hundred million dollars, which is insane. Uh, Wow. Like, I wonder what Joaquin made. I don't know if Joaquin took that same back end deal or if he got his star salary up front. Uh Wow. If that is true, hats off to, to Todd Phillips for just being a, a savvy negotiator and Todd Feldman as well. But when, t- you know, the Deadline's article just felt like Todd Feldman being like, whoa, 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 whoa. There's no sequel. There's no, you don't have Todd Phillips for a sequel. You don't have anybody. You don't have anything. Like, I think, I think it's an inevitability, as Todd sort of uh, acknowledged. The, the sequel options part on Joaquin was confusing. I mean, if there are, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there were s- sequel options just because any good studio, you know, sh- should try to lock in its talent uh, in, into deals as long as possible. And um, I wonder where the option was. Like, was it, you know, like in sports, there's a player option and there's a team option. Is, is there a studio option and an actor option? I don't know how it works. But I just thought that the whole idea of Joaquin being the Joker and signing on to this project was that he didn't want to be in sequels. It was conceived as a standalone, as a one-off. He didn't want to have have the next five years of his career tied up playing the Joker in, in 18 different things. Um, and, and that's why he ended up not being Doctor Strange. So it, 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 that was odd. The dark side part was odd. Like, I don't see there being a dark side solo movie. That Like, no one... Only DC nerds know who Darkseid is. I'm sorry. Lex Luthor I could see being next up. That makes sense to me for getting the Joker treatment. Um, I don't know if Todd Phillips is the guy for that. Maybe he could produce. Uh, I mean, I don't even. I don't know if Todd Phillips would, would want to repeat himself. Um, but I, I hope that there's not a sequel. I really don't. I think it could only mess with the legacy of Joker, which is a truly great movie. Um... I don't know that Joaquin would want to put himself through all that again either. And then there was the Kathleen Kennedy story, which I mean, listen, everybody's been hungering to write this story. You have to give her credit for Mandalorian because it sounds like that has worked. I mean, you have to give Favreau a lot of credit as well. But that's a hit for Disney Plus. Like, just the amount of signups that they got, you know, a lot of that is due to The Mandalorian. Half the, the co workers that I have in this office here at Collider, they woke up at six in the morning to watch the, the, the episode this morning for fear of people coming in and spoiling it. So that that goes to show that that you know she does have a hit here, and I think I think Rise of Skywalker will be well received. Uh, it coming from J.J. Abrams and, and sort of wrapping up the whole Skywalker saga. You know that that could surprise everybody. Maybe that movie you know gets a Best Picture nomination. I know we've talked about that with Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, both had Oscar buzz. This one curiously has no Oscar buzz, but I wonder if it could end up pulling some kind of like Return of the King, Lord of the Rings style thing. As far as the Kathleen Kennedy of it all, and, and Kevin Feige coming in, and there's you know there's a report that they have a director in place for the next Star Wars movie. It just hasn't been announced yet. They want to wait till January. For that, I don't know why. Why wait? Why January? Is that they just want to keep the focus on on Star Wars Nine for now? They don't want people thinking off into the future yet. Um, would the title of the movie give things away from Episode Nine? Or and like, I don't. 
I guess it all goes back to that report from the tracking board, which I wrote about two years ago, it feels like, where I said that Lucasfilm has hired women, people of color, and we just don't know who they are. But they're developing a ton of projects over there. People who I know and trust were talking about it fairly openly on, on Facebook. Like, they know the people who have been hired. They've just been sworn to secrecy, and I haven't been able to get any uh, anything out of them. So I, I am very curious about this director hire. I can't wait to see who it is. I know I'd been saying Reed Moreno for a while. She just signed on to something else recently. I think we're going to talk about that later in the show. i got to check my notes. Um, but, I mean, who else could it be? I don't, I don't think it can be another white guy. I think you've got to change it up, whether it's a woman, whether it's Rick Famuyiwa, um, this woman, Deborah Chow, who, who apparently did a great job on The Mandalorian, and, like, maybe they gave her a feature after seeing what, what you know, she was able to accomplish. Beats me. Um, but And, yes, as for the Kathleen Kennedy of it all, I think that she walks away after this. I still think... You've launched The Mandalorian. You've brought the Skywalker saga to a close. I think that was really her main job, her main priority, you know, as the head of, after being brought in to run Lucasfilm. And this was before, I think it was before the acquisition. Um, but yeah, I, I think if you're Alan Horn or, or Iger, whoever, you want to install your own person because George installed Kathleen himself. Um, so whether that's Kevin Feige or, or somebody else over there already or just, you know, someone who's a proven hit maker who, who comes in and takes it over, it beats me. But, yeah, I can't see Kathleen Kennedy really surviving uh, into 2020. I mean, I don't know that it'll happen so soon after Star Wars 9. But, yeah, part of me thinks that she'll be gone by, let's say, May, whatever it is. That that sounds about right to me, um, especially with just so much uncertainty surrounding the future of, of the franchise. Yeah, we know Kevin Feige is doing one, but what's that about? What's Ryan Johnson's trilogy about? Is that actually going to happen? We've just seen so many comings and goings in the Star Wars universe. I think it, it needs some stability, and I don't know that Kathleen is necessarily the person to do it. The other thing that they haven't really done yet and it's like the clock is ticking. Nobody's getting any younger. Is Indiana Jones 5? Like, where is the other stuff from Lucasfilm? I mean, you have all the resources in the world. Uh, and obviously, a lot of them have to be spent on Star Wars. But, you know, why hasn't there been more progress made on Indiana Jones 5? Why can't they seem to crack it? Why not do a TV series? Uh, I know someone who'd always p- pitched a great take on, like, a Marion TV series. It sounded really interesting. I'm not even an Indiana Jones guy. So I'm not personally invested, and I don't really care what happens to it. But obviously, it's a it's a marquee franchise. It's the other thing that Lucasfilm is known for. And uh, yeah, I just don't know what's taking so long. Um, We can move it on to Noah Hawley doing Star Trek. This is another weird one. Like, I like... I like Fargo a lot. Fargo is great. It's one of the best TV series of the decade. Uh, I did not care for Lucy in the Sky, which I think just kind of got away from Noah Hawley. Like, visually, it was interesting, but uh, as, you know, the script was a mess. I'm not a big Star Trek guy. I do think that they should just reboot this thing, get rid of this cast. It's not that the cast was bad. The cast was actually good, but, you know... you got to keep it fresh. You got to keep it new. And they've been the Star Trek cast for 15 years, and it's just somebody else's turn. I also just Chris Pine's not really a box office draw. Even if they gave Chris Hemsworth a prominent role in this thing, I don't think it would really help. Um, they have a bunch of solid actors, but it doesn't really like it doesn't add up to like a Mission Impossible style chemistry for me. Um, like I get a real kick out of seeing Simon Pegg as Benji in Mission Impossible and less as Scotty in, in these Star Trek movies. So I think that Noah Hawley, in order to, you know, actually be successful, I think he needs to just do his own thing, get his own people in there, uh, create his own tone. Because in to keep with this trilogy... I I don't think that would be a wise move. I like the first Star, Star Trek with Eric Bana. It was all right. The villain was a little weak. Uh, the villain got better in the second movie, but the second movie was a little bit more ridiculous. And then the third movie I just thought was bad. And I know people thought it was like the most Trek of all the movies. Um, 
But yeah, I just remember using Beastie Boys to defeat a really bland alien villain played by Idris Elba. So yeah, I think I think I think you got to blow that up. And Noah Hawley, I don't know if he's the right guy for it. Um, I, I would have been really interested in his Doctor Doom movie, actually. Uh, I don't know. Some guys are TV guys, and some guys are movie guys, and maybe not Noah Hawley is just a, a TV guy. I, we'll, we'll see. Um, Dexter Fletcher. Speaking of Bohemian Rhapsody early in the show, Dexter Fletcher, who also did uh, Rocket Man, Eddie the Eagle. He is doing a monster movie, uh, a horror film called Renfield up at Universal. This is based on one of Dracula's henchmen uh, who was like a lunatic at the – he was an inmate at the lunatic asylum. I never really read Bram Stoker's Dracula. The idea, though, sounded interesting. Like at least it wasn't just you know, the, the 15th Dracula, a Frankenstein movie. It, it finds an interesting element in that book, and it's going to focus on that. Um, I, again, I've heard a few things regarding Universal and, and their, what they're planning to do with the, the monster movies now that the Dark Universe is, is no more, R.I.P. Dark Universe. There are some pretty big names being floated around that the executive suites there. Um, I've heard of one A-list movie star who they'd like to make a movie with um, that, that may very well be written by, uh, by Jason Blum's wife. And I've also heard of a major budding horror filmmaker who has not made a movie for Universal. Um, so it's not it's not Jordan Peele. <laughs> but another uh, up-and-coming horror filmmaker, I've heard that they would like him to direct a potentially a, a vampire movie. Um, so this Renfield thing caught me by surprise because you know, that, that is Dracula. That would also, you would think, uh, would be vampire-related. Um I'm just saying, Universal's making moves. And Invisible Man, like I think we talked about last week, looks looks great. So we'll see how successful that movie is and, and if that influences their approach to anything else. But they also have Paul Feig's Dark Army, which is going to incorporate a few different Universal classic monsters and whatnot. Although I'm not sure you know, what the ultimate tone of that is going to be. Renfield, Dexter Fletcher. He's a good director. I'm, I'm very curious about that one. I'll be eager to see who they cast. We also mentioned Mission Impossible earlier, and there's some news on that franchise as well, which is the greatest active movie franchise, along with Toy Toy Story, I would say. Palm Clementif, who plays Mantis in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, she has joined the cast of Mission Impossible. Will she be a good guy, a bad guy? I don't know. I don't know if she'll... I think she'd kind of make like a great henchman, Um, because I don't think think she's going to be the main villain. I think she'd be a really interesting, like, number two. Uh, but it's also possible that, I don't know, she could wind up being some love interest for Tom. Who knows? Like, Tom, Tommy's got to have someone to kiss at the end of these movies. Um, but I really like her. I really like Pom. She's just got something unique about her. And uh, she isn't someone who I would have guessed for this franchise. And that's kind of what I like about it. Idris Elba signing on to The Harder They Fall at Netflix. He's been circling this project for a while. This is a an all-black Western revenge movie starring Jonathan Majors from Last Black Man in San Francisco. Uh, it's being directed by James Samuels, who's kind of like a, a visual artist and musician. And Jay-Z is actually going to produce this. So I expect this to ha- be very stylish I don't know how big Idris Elba's role is ultimately going to be, but he's going to be the villain who gets out of prison. He served like a decade or two-decade stint in prison for killing this uh, young man's parents, and now this guy is all grown up and wants revenge, so he sort of rounds up his, his old gang. Uh, that's a, I love that kind of premise. I, you know, Idris Elba makes, a, makes for an interesting villain. This is the kind of thing where this is a nice bonus on, on your Netflix subscription. You know, like same with the Between Two Ferns movie. Like this, this movie's not going to, you know, it's not why you sign up for a service like that, but it's a nice little cherry on top. Uh, Harrison Ford is going to star in a TV adaptation or like a narrative adaptation, I suppose, of The Staircase. That's the, I've never seen The Staircase. I've been hearing about it for over a decade. It was like this 
acclaimed, harrowing, true crime cases. I think about a doctor who pushes his flight, his wife down a flight of stairs or something like that. Uh, Harrison, so it's a bit like The Fugitive, where something's going to happen to Harrison Ford's wife and he's going to swear he didn't do it. Although I don't know if he's going to be innocent this time. I don't know how the the staircase actually ended and, and what the conclusion of that was. But the, the, listen, the idea of Harrison Ford doing television in the first place is pretty exciting. I think it's he's a huge coup for that project. Uh, and that was a nice scoop by uh, by my pal Joe Anderson over at Variety. So looking forward to the staircase, especially because I never saw the documentary. So this will probably be my first exposure to that story. Uh, Corey Hawkins signed on to... Uh, Joel Cohen's Macbeth. Sorry, I, you know, even in reporting that story, I kept going back and forth. Which Cohen brother is it? Is it Joel? Is it Ethan? Is it Ethan? Is it Joel? It's Joel Cohen directing uh, an adaptation of William Shakespeare's Macbeth. Uh, you've got two Oscar winners already. Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand are going to star. Brennan Gleeson, I reported, is going is uh, in talks to play King Duncan. And I don't know who Corey Hawkins is going to be playing yet. Uh, there's Banquo, there's McDuff. I mean, I, I, I can't tell because Denzel is, you know, in his, like 60-something, and uh, he's a little bit older. Um, so, yeah, not sure where Corey Hawkins is going to fit into this, but uh, I like it. He, you know, he's, he's a good actor. He hasn't blown me away in anything because he's kind of been overshadowed by others. But he, he he's getting some prestige movies. Like, Straight Outta Compton I thought was terrific. And he was good as Dr. Dre. He wasn't the standout. He wasn't easy. He wasn't, you know, Ice Cube Jr. But uh, he was good. And he was good uh, as Kwame Ture in Black Klansman as well. Uh, and I don't, I don't watch The Walking Dead, so I didn't see him in that. Uh, and he, obviously he's got Six Underground coming out and a couple of other things. So a lot happening uh, with Corey Hawkins. I you know I didn't I could not get into his twenty four I did maybe watch the first hour or two of that twenty four thing it was just like this, this guy's not Jack Bauer, um, but yeah the the chance to work with Denzel and Scott Rudin and Joel Cohen like I, I don't see how you turn that down as a young actor so expect to see him in that movie let's double back to that Soderbergh film this was a fun one that I worked with the playlist on and you know Soderbergh doesn't have reps and the project's not at a studio. So it would have been very tough to confirm this on my own. Uh, I did speak to to an individual who – or actually two individuals who did back me up on everything. But, like, if I had, like, gone to all the di- – I guess I did. I went to all the reps. Nobody responded. So they all just kind of ignored me, and I didn't want to keep pressuring them because then they'd know I was probably getting ready to go. I was getting antsy, and maybe they'd leak it somewhere. So I went to the next best place. And that's the playlist, because clearly, if you've been paying attention to the site, and I love the site, I read it every morning, uh, they have an in with Steven Soderbergh. And so I went to them, and I was like, guys, can we maybe work together on this? Like, this is what I'm hearing about your boy. I don't know if you've heard this yet, but if you haven't, you know, maybe you could run it up the flagpole on your end, see what comes back down. And their info pretty much matched my info. They had a, little, a, a few more details that they kept for themselves, um, as they should. But so this is a 1950s crime drama, and it involves a home invasion and three criminals who are going to be played by Josh Brolin, Don Cheadle, and Sebastian Stan, all of whom were in the Marvel Universe together. So that's kind of exciting. Three Marvel guys doing this independent Soderbergh movie that was initially described to me as something akin to Panic Room, but I think that's just because it was three criminals in a home invasion. I don't know that the tone is going to be anything like that. Um, and the playlist added that Don Cheadle is actually going to be the lead here and that there's a there's like a civil rights message to everything, or this is before the civil rights movement, and I don't know. So it's kind of, that that's an interesting element to it because you don't often see – you know, racial inequalities factor into crime dramas or crime thrillers. I think I called it a crime drama, and the playlist called it more of a thriller. It was written by Ed Solomon, who's di- who did Men in Black, who did uh, Bill and Ted. And Soderbergh is actually an executive producer on the new Bill and Ted movie, Face the Music, coming out next year. Casey Silver's producing, and, and they're about to shop to start shopping this to studios. But with a package that big, with those three actors and Soderbergh... Uh, you know, I, it felt like we had to report this sooner rather than later because if I wait for it to land at a studio, someone at that studio is going to want that announcement, you know, in the trades. 
Um, so that I do expect that package to sell because it sounds pretty exciting. Speaking of exciting and guys who are you know uh, on the level of, of a Soderbergh, is David Fincher doing a Chinatown prequel series for Netflix. This was really the mind blower of the week, folks. So Robert Town, who wrote Chinatown, has agreed to come write a pilot script for this China, Chinatown prequel series that would follow a young Jake Giddies. I don't know who you would cast as a young Jake Giddies. I don't know how young he is. I don't know if he would be 30, 35, or if we're talking about, you know, 20, 25. But, I mean, if if this if they could nail this, it could be really good. But, on the other hand, this could go horribly wrong, much like the sequel to Chinatown, The Two Jakes. Yeah. I mean, this was surprising, just because Fincher is, is doing Mank over there, and then he's supposed to jump into season three of Mindhunter, which I'm sure is being written you know, while, while uh, Mank is in production. It just won't maybe start casting or, or filming or anything until Fincher's all wrapped. So to see him squeeze something else in over there came as a bit of a surprise, particularly the fact that it's a Chinatown prequel. I wonder if they're going to start, you know, taking these iconic movies, these classics, and start doing prequels to them since a sequel would sort of be to bastardize it a little bit. Like, uh, does a sequel change how you look at the original more than a prequel would change how you how you might look at the original. I don't know. Um, but needless to say, this this just, just blew my mind. Uh, Chinatown. Wow. I wonder what Roman Polanski thinks of all this. <sighs> Let's talk about Nick Cage. Nick Cage signing on to an indie movie, The Unbear. Actually, it's a Lionsgate movie. It's not an indie. Lionsgate is is uh, nearing a deal to pick it up. So it wasn't indie. It's landing at a studio. It's called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Tom Gormican is going to direct. Uh, he also co-wrote the script. And it basically, Nick Cage is going to play a version of Nick Cage, kind of like John claude Van Damme did in JCVD. And this uh, Nick Cage is sort of fallen on... You know, harder times or he's doing kind of, you know, these schlocky pictures like as he currently is. He's having conversations with a young Nicolas Cage who's, you know, hot off his Oscar win. He's like in all these gigantic blockbuster action movies. And I'm sure young Cage is like, what the hell? What the hell happened to you, man? You know, where did things go wrong? And so, yeah, this Cage has to, like, navigate a strained relationship with his daughter and deal with, like, these Mexican drug lords uh, who, who are big fans of his. Like, it sounds wild and wacky and like a movie that Nicolas Cage is perfect for and also spares him from doing all these one-word indie thrillers, you know, where you can't even keep them. I can't even keep track of them. I can't keep them straight. There's so many. You could have a day where on one day there's two new Nicolas Cage trailers and a new Nicolas Cage movie. Like, that would not surprise me whatsoever. And I think it honestly happened a couple weeks ago. Um, but listen, if Nick Cage, who hasn't he hasn't done a studio movie, I don't even know when the last one was. Snowden was like the closest he came, and that was Open Road. Uh, Nick Cage is still in a fascinating performer, and I think he's still got a lot left in the tank. And if he just figures out the right way to play this, like what, like what level to dial in on. It could be really interesting. He was he was great in the adaptation. This guy's an Oscar-winning actor. We do forget that. Um, so I, I am looking forward to, uh, to, to seeing that come together. Hopefully it will, and it won't just sort of uh, languish in, in development hell. One project I, don't, I wouldn't mind seeing languishing in development hell is this King Leopold's Ghost movie that Ben Affleck signed on to. We talked about it a little on Movie Talk this morning. I was very negative. It just didn't seem particularly interesting. Uh, it was all about colonialism of the Congo and um, some, you know, the resistance behind that. And just didn't really seem like the kind of movie that I thought Ben Affleck should be making. Apparently, it's a real passion. Uh, he's real passionate about the issue and, and, the, and the Congo and all that stuff. So hats off to him. I just... I don't even like the title, King Leopold's Ghost. Who wants to see that? Uh, seems iffy to me. 
Right. Reed Marina. We talked about her earlier. She's doing a movie uh, with Zoe Saldana. It's called Sabaya, and it's involving like ISIS or an ISIS fighter. Sounds interesting. Sounds like kind of like a, her Zero Dark Thirty, if you will. Or, or something like that. Abe Forsyth, the director of Little Monsters, which is a fun zombie comedy with Lupita Nyong'o and uh, Josh Gad that you can find on Hulu. He got the RoboCop job. RoboCop returns up at MGM or Orion, wherever it is. Abe Forsyth is going to be the guy calling the shots on that one. I don't really think we need another RoboCop movie. I have no allegiance to this franchise, no particular affinity for this character. Didn't like... The Joel Kinnaman remake much. Um, yeah, I just don't, like, what is there to RoboCop? He's kind of boring. I I'm, I'm guess I'm glad that this isn't chewing up a year or two of another filmmaker that I'm, like, super into. Uh, and that they're not losing a year or two of their career to this property. Um, I mean, I, I liked Little Monsters. Don't get me wrong. I thought Abe Forsyth did a good job with that. Maybe this is kind of the next perfect stepping stone for him, I mean, this is this is a big job, so he's got to be happy in that sense. But yeah, this is kind of like a B or C list franchise in in my eyes. Um, Yorgos Lanthimos staying with the Fox Searchlight family. He's doing a limited TV series uh, based on the Man in the Rockefeller suit. This was a project that was going to star Benedict Cumberbatch back in the day. I don't think he's attached anymore. Searchlight doing everything in its power to keep Yorgos Lanthimos in the family. I think that they are uh, even planning another uh, Yorgos movie, possibly with Emma Stone, uh, called Poor Things, but I haven't gotten confirmation on that one yet. Um, what else, what else, what else? Uh, let's see. Ben, a couple Ben Affleck movies got release dates from Disney, uh, which means that they did greenlight The Last Duel, the Ridley Scott film that's going to be with uh, Matt, da- Matt Damon and Adam Driver. And then, uh, right, Dark, Deep Water, Deep Waters, Dark Waters, I forget which one it is. Confuse it with the new Ruffalo movie, but the Adrian Lynn film that's going to be African Honored Armors, that also got a date from uh, from Disney. So Disney, very much in the Ben Affleck business. Good for them. I mean, I love Ben Affleck. I just, I'm sorry, I can't get excited for King Leopold's ghost. Forgive me. He's still my man. The Indie Spirit Award nominations came out this week. Uh, whatever. I've never been to the Indie Spirit Awards, really. Like, I cover, I cover indie film probably as much as any journalist in the entire country. Um, like, where do where do you think of these indie film announcements start? They like even like Hollywood Reporter, Variety, Deadline. They're not as interested in reporting on indies as they are in studio films. Like. I break a lot of indie news. Never once been invited to the Indie Spirit Awards. And they're just kind of like this fun little event during Oscar weekend. But I don't take them seriously as an awards uh, organization, as a voting body whatsoever. I don't know who is voting. I think you, anybody can kind of just pay to, to vote for the Spirit Awards. Um, I, don't, I don't know what kind of fee it is. 35 bucks or something? To, uh, a check to film independent? If there is any overlap between, you know, uh, in, in film, uh, sorry, the Indie Spirits and the Oscars, it's very, very small. And again, even if even if there was overlap, it wouldn't really matter because when you're filling out an Indie Spirit ballot, it's totally different. It has a totally different weight to it than filling out an Oscar ballot, which is really voting for history. Indie Spirits, you, you can maybe reward your favorites and the people who in the moment you think deserve things. But Oscars, you really are voting for a, a place in the record books, a place in history. And I think you just think a lot longer and harder when you make those choices. Obviously, the fields of competition are also very different. Um, and movies that are you know more than $22.5 million were ineligible for these indie spirits. Uh, plus, uh, you know, all the, all the categories are off because Marriage Story got the ensemble nomination which means that none of the individual performances were eligible to be nominated so it's just it's got you know all these weird little asterisks and rules and regulations to the indie spirits if if they do anything if they're good for anything it's it's to maybe shine a light on some people uh, films performances that you may have missed uh to be like oh is that out yet or have i seen that oh i think i missed that whatever it is you know if you see a name 
that you don't recognize uh, on this list. But besides, like, encouraging people to see movies, I don't think it's like people are saying, like, uh, oh, well, so-and-so got nominated for Best Actress in it for the Indie Spirit, so I really need to put them up. Like, it, it would be remiss of me to, to not include them in my Oscar on my Oscar ballot, even though I haven't seen the film. Like, no, it doesn't work like that. Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog got a redesign this week that was unveiled, and then some animation guy who you know I don't I don't know him, so I'm not going to cast aspersions or whatever. But he came out and said that you know via his sources in the animation community, he'd heard that the, that the redesign was going to cost Paramount thirty five million dollars. And with all due respect, that's insane. You just have no idea how the business works if that's what you think that Paramount would be willing to spend on this. Um, Paramount is is pretty fiscally responsible. I don't see them throwing bad money after bad. And I'm not saying that Sonic the Hedgehog is bad money, but you don't spend $35 million to appease Twitter fans, you know, the the, the even if it's 30,000 people on Twitter, right? Even if you get 30,000 likes, at 10 bucks a pop, that's 300 grand. Like it's just an insignificant figure. Even if it was three hundred people, three hundred thousand people at ten bucks a pop, that's that's three million dollars. So why would you spend thirty five million to make these people happy? People don't understand. Twitter represents one percent of the the population in this country. It's like nobody is on Twitter. My brothers are not on Twitter. My father's not on Twitter. Uh, no one from like back maybe of my eleven man high school posse. Two or three of us are on Twitter. Actively. So, uh, like, we can make a lot of noise on social media, but in the scheme of things, no one on social media is is getting a, a studio to spend 35 extra million dollars on a, on a fucking Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Come on. If it, if it you know, obviously the, the costs are real. They did have to redesign. They, I'm sure they had to, you know, change some marketing materials. I'm sure having the movie on the books a little bit longer, like the delay is, is going to cost a little. But I cannot see it costing more than $12 million. And I think Hollywood Reporter or IndieWire was somebody that said it was about $5 million. That sounds right, only that I just don't believe any studio that gives me any number ever. So, but, uh, you know, I would say $5 million minimum. Twelve million tops, which is a third, basically, of the thirty-five million dollar number, and probably the truth is somewhere in between and closer to the, to the lower end of that scale. Seven, eight million sounds about right. Seven, eight million sounds about like what Charlie's Angels made this weekend. By the way, I, I didn't see it. Uh, I was planning to see Charlie's Angels. I couldn't make the screening, uh, and and now that it's out in theaters, I don't think that I'll see it just based on you know some of the reviews, the reactions. It sounds like Kristen Stewart. Acquitted herself nicely, but the other two are just kind of non-factors. Um, the movie absolutely bombed. Kudos to Elizabeth Banks for owning that bombage. You know, she's like, if you're going to have your name three or four times on a movie uh, on a flop, like uh, I don't know, I just like that she that she stood by it because you know, for her, the movie's performance doesn't affect her experience on the film or how much fun she had making it and you know what she was trying to accomplish with it. It's really it's not really her problem almost. And there's such goodwill for her around town. I think that she'll land on her feet and, and you know I, I think Liz Banks will be afforded the opportunity to to fail and to continue making movies. Not everybody is so lucky. Um but the studio executives, I mean this is something that if you had come to me on January 1st, 2019, and said, pick two movies this year, that will flop. Um, first of all, if I had picked three, I would have picked Aladdin, which I was wrong about. That did really well for Disney. But the two I would have chosen were Men in Black International and Charlie's Angels. Those are the two movies that throughout last year uh, and earlier this year I just heard were absolute disasters and, uh, you know, Charlie's Angels may not have been a disaster. Certainly there were people who came back from the press screening uh, raving about it. Doesn't sound like it went over well just in general. I mean, you've got to be able to hit your target demo. And it sounds like Sony didn't even know what that was. Like, they, they thought they had a four-quadrant. They didn't really even have a one-quadrant. Like, if you can't get teen girls to show up for this movie, how are you going to expect anybody else to? So that was really a failure, I think, of, of, of marketing, even though I like the Charlie's Angels uh, 
trailer. I thought it had a hot song in it. Um, elsewhere, Neon re-releasing Bong Joon-ho's Memories of Murder. Sounds like a good call. Everybody has respect for that movie. I actually don't think it's as great as everybody says, but I, I do respect it. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think it directly influenced Zodiac. And Neon's just smart to get into the Bong Joon-ho business, like on the heels of Parasite. That That's one of the biggest... Uh, Foreign language films ever, one of, I think, and one of the biggest just you know indie movies of the year. So yeah, why not take a chance on a movie that you know is already great, or you know most people think is great. You know, you sink some marketing dollars in, maybe a million dollars, and maybe you make three to five million dollars on it. So that uh, that you know that might even be worth a rewatch for me. I didn't see that. Uh, I saw that in college on a bootleg, and maybe I'll have to check that one out. Fede Alvarez signing a deal with Legendary that is going to see him reboot the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Wow. He's also doing a movie that's described as The Shining in the White House. He's going to produce it. That sounds really exciting. I love the idea of like a haunted White House movie. I mean, you know, all most haunted, haunted whatever movies are kind of the same. So it all depends on that setting. And the White House, I don't know that you could even pick a better one. As for Texas Chainsaw, I, God, there have been so many reboots and, and things that I've lost track. But it's all been kind of schlocky and independent or, or Lionsgate-ish you know, at best. Legendary is maybe a little bit of a step up for this property. And, uh, and there is money to be made with it. So if they can do a movie like that, you know, Marcus Nispel one that, that was produced by Michael Bay and, and starred Jessica Biel, like... They could have something, and Fede Alvarez, he is a he's a grindhouse director. Like this is a guy who's you know doing tree rapes in in the Evil Dead movie, and there's semen dripping off of syringes and and uh, or uh, what's basters and don't breathe. Like this guy is a pervert, and that's what I like about him. And I mean, he may just be the perfect pervert it may take a pervert to reboot the texas chainsaw massacre properly so um let me see we got a few more minutes left in this episode of the show the daddle brothers who speaking of perverts uh you know they'll always be the guys who made the poughkeepsie tapes to me they signed on to do a new friday night lights movie at universal this is the whole project confuses me though it's based on the buzz bissinger book but it's a different story in a different setting so it's just it's still about small town football in Texas and how a team affects the community, but it's not about Booby Miles and that Odessa, you know, team or Permian or whatever. I, I, again, I don't really understand it, or you know, like how do you take the book but then not do the story or the characters slash players slash team that's in the book? I don't know. I just think you know the, the Universal clearly feels like the brand has its fans. Friday Night Lights. How do we continue this? Uh, you can't just tell it, you know, do a sequel because everybody, all the kids are older. Um, so yeah, you need to you need to refocus. Uh, Steph Curry and John Legend teaming up for a project called Signing Day, involving a it's another like female sports agent movie uh, that, that arrives on the heels of What Women Want, or uh, yeah, right, what what men want. I guess that's what it was. What sorry, what what men want. Um, I don't know what the whole like female. It's like you got to show a woman in a male-dominated profession. Uh, there, there's something like there's some interesting dr- dramatic possibilities inherent in that scenario. But on the uh, on the other hand, it almost feels like you, they rely on it too much. Like or it's 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 too easy to see what those issues are, and so it makes it less dramatic. Um, I don't know. I, I guess it depends on who they get to play the, the female agent and who they get to play uh, her, her the star that she's trying to sign. But I feel like I've seen this before. So yeah, it remains to be seen what kind of uh, producerial instincts Steph Curry and, and John Legend have, you know? Like, that that's a high-wattage star pairing on paper. But can these guys make movies? I, I don't know. Um, the Britney Runs a Marathon director signed on to do a film called Perfect Nanny. Uh, I know my nanny is perfect. <laughs> um, and yes, that's what I call my grandmother, nanny. Jesse Plemons signing on to do Jane Campion's Power of the Dog. This is another project that's like, what? what is this project about? I know it has a cool cast. Benedict Cumberbatch, I think Elizabeth Moss, 
Maybe she had to drop out. I forget. I think Thomas and McKenzie's even circling a role in this thing. But what? I, what? What is it about? I don't. I, maybe I just haven't been reading these stories. Maybe it's a. You know, I'm indifferent to Jane Campion, which I know I shouldn't be. I, I, I started watching Top of the Lake and I never quite finished, I, and that kind of doomed me because <laughs> I think you need momentum uh, to watch that one. It was kind of slow. What else? What else? What else? Lynette Howell-Taylor and Stephanie Elaine producing the Oscars. This was exciting because I have known Lynette for years. Uh, married, I knew her when she's Lynette Howell. Now she's married to Graham Taylor, who's over at WME. Uh, you know, ni- nice guy. Lynette has always been wonderful to me, and I love her taste. She did Half Nelson and The pl- uh, the Place Beyond the Pines and Blue Valentine. So she's made all these Derek C. on France movies, and she's just she's just awesome. She's a sweetheart. And I'm super happy for her. I think she's going to do a great job. She, Like I said, she did Pines. She produced A Star is Born last year. I'd love to see her get Bradley Cooper involved somehow. Just because I've been missing Bradley Cooper uh, all year after the onslaught uh, with award season last year. And then Stephanie Elaine, who she's an industry veteran who has been around forever, knows everybody. She produced Hustle and Flow. This is a really cool pairing on paper. Like, I, I think that these two styles will complement each other nicely. I'm excited to see what they have in store. And I can't wait to see if, if they want to have a host. I think that they should bring a host back. They should be the producers who brought the host back, you know? You can't just uh, say, oh, well, last year went, went relatively smoothly. It didn't really help the running time, if I recall. So, yeah, you know, Hollywood, I think you need a host on that night. I don't know that you need it, but I think that the night is better having someone to guide you through it. Uh, A few more minutes left, a few more. There's uh, a bunch of AFI controversies, guys. You got this Richard Jewell controversy where Olivia Wilde's character, the journalist in the movie at the Atlanta Constitution Journal, Journal Constitution, whatever it is, depicted as sleeping with John Hamm's FBI agent in exchange for information. Big no-no, obviously, in the world of journalism, and just a, a, a troubling issue in terms of journal- movies involving journalism. You always see women uh, sleeping with their sources, and like it's really not like that. <laughs> I don't know. You know the, the top female reporters that I know are not sleeping with their sources, and it's kind of uh, offensive to for Hollywood to keep suggesting that, that, that women, you know, curry favor by by using sex and, and sexuality uh we of course we have no idea if this actually happened the reporter is dead i think that the even the fbi agent involved uh is no longer around so no one's around to defend themselves i mean films are allowed to take artistic license so i'm not mad about it personally but i could see that if you if you knew this reporter and knew that she hadn't done anything like that or believed in her integrity and morals ethics as a reporter that you might be offended and insulted uh, by by this depiction. We'll see if that actually costs the movie any points um, this year, or, or costs any Olivia Wilde any points because she's kind of riding high off of Booksmart. But people are really questioning, like, why did why she signed on for a role like this in the first place? And then elsewhere, Apple pulling the premiere of The Banker, the, the Sam Jackson Anthony Mackie movie, due to sexual abuse allegations. Uh, surrounding the subject's sons. This isn't even about the guy in the movie. That guy in the movie had a son, and the son was raised in a home with two sisters, and he supposedly molested uh, his own sisters in the home. I mean, is Apple supposed to, like, do its due diligence on this before buying this movie? Like, why can't you just see a great movie and say, that? yeah, we want to be a part of that, we want to release that? Like, I don't, all these invest. I just don't understand pulling the movie because of this. Like, it's first of all, it's not a good look for Apple. That's not what you want to happen with your with your big uh, awards movie. Um, it's like it's 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 horrible. It's a horrible story. I just don't understand what it necessarily has to do with the movie or why the movie can't be seen. You know, it's not like. Like the guy who Sam Jackson's playing, who we're all rooting for, like he was molesting children or whatever. I don't know. May- maybe he knew about it. I don't think that the whole story has necessarily come out. Uh, it has trickled out via the trades. 
I guess Apple did what it had to do. They didn't want to risk anything. You know, they're very PR sensitive company that has never really weathered this kind of a storm. But yeah, man, we're we're film Twitter. Like we can make issues out of anything, and somebody clearly, uh, you know, made made issues out of that one to the point where Apple felt like they had to pull it um, rather than expose its talent and leave its its talent open to taking questions at a Q and A about X, Y, and Z. Um, wrapping up here, let's see. I saw a couple movies this week. I saw QT8. If you check out Collider Live uh, yesterday on Thursday, we sat down with Tara Wood, uh, the director of that documentary, and, and lobbed some pretty tough questions at her, and she was game. It, I, as a Tarantino you know, worshiper, as a devotee, I, th- I thought it was great. I could have watched it for another hour. Um, yeah, just great to, to relive some of my f- favorite scenes and hear the actors and producers talking about uh, making them. And then I saw Les Mis yesterday, Les Miserables, the, uh, the France's entry for the foreign language or, or the best international feature Oscar. You know, I, it, it was okay. I think I had higher expectations. It felt very straightforward to me. Um, it obviously had nothing to do with, with Les Miserables. Uh yeah, it was okay. I, I just I've seen a lot better foreign crime movies. Like this was not exactly on the level of a, of a City of God or you know e- even some other like really visually inventive movies that that they took a lot of chances. Yeah, it was okay. Um, teasers. Oh, I haven't seen the Without Remorse teaser. I need to watch that. I need to watch the Hunters trailer. The Call of the Wild trailer made me cry. That's the one with Harrison Ford and a, and a dog that doesn't terribly look terribly realistic. I don't know how great the, the CGI is on all that. Um, but the the story is, is obviously iconic. Jack London, I believe. And, uh, yeah, it, it definitely made me shed some tears. The new Cats trailer... This is hilarious. Nothing's changing my mind about this movie. It's going to be an absolute train wreck, and I can't wait to enjoy every second of it. The Confession Killer. I think it's a Netflix documentary about Henry Lee Lucas, a.k.a. Henry, portrait of a serial killer. Same guy, deadly guy. Was he actually – did he actually kill as many people as he said, or was it all kind of bogus? Can't wait to watch this documentary and find out. Really like the new Irishman trailer. Uh, I like how what they're doing with that campaign, and they're making it more about, you know, it's it's more about being reflective. It's more about some of those quiet moments. You know, you're seeing De Niro aged up a little bit more in the tra- in the new trailer. It's not just about wham bam. This is the new mafia movie from from Martin Scorsese. Uh, I dug the trailer for Avenue Five, the new HBO series with uh, with Hugh Laurie. That looks like a lot of fun. And then this Janelle uh, Monet movie, Antebellum, had a little teaser. And, uh, yeah, it's from the producers of Get Out and Us, and I think it's very much uh, of, in the same vein as those movies. So I don't want to spoil anything, but I can't wait for you guys to see what kind of game that movie is playing. Um, is there a rumor of the week? Let me check my book real quick. Uh, do I see anything? Do I see anything? Um, hmm. I don't know. Anyways, I don't want to have too much dead air here. I got, I got a couple. Okay, you know what? I'm, I'm going to throw this out there. A little Thanksgiving. Here we go. I, I hope that the few seconds of dead air, which maybe uh, Cody will cut, cut out. I hope it will be worth it for this. So I keep hearing about David O. Russell. I'm like, what is David O. Russell doing? He hasn't. It's been a while. I, I, what was his last movie? Joy? Um, he is putting together his next movie. For ages, I'd heard it was going to be Jennifer Lawrence and Christian Bale again from American Hustle. Now I'm hearing J-Law is out and that it may be Margot Robbie. So it would be potentially Margot Robbie, Christian Bale, and Jamie Foxx. I I think Jamie Foxx is just itching to work with a guy like David O. Russell. And the working title that I have right now is Amsterdam. David O. Russell's next film, tentatively titled Amsterdam. Tentatively starring Oscar winner Christian Bale, Oscar winner Jamie Foxx, and potentially one Margot Robbie. That, I think, will do it. Uh, I hope you all have a wonderful Thanksgiving with your families. Travel safe. Travel light. uh, Stay warm. I will see you back in December. We're going to be talking a whole lot of award stuff as, as I see more and more 
awards movies. I have a screener of Just Mercy waiting for me. I can't wait to finally check that out. So, guys, have a wonderful holiday. Thank you for listening to The Snyder Cut. Tell a friend. Buy a Cameo at The Insider on Cameo.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Facebook and at The Insider. Thank you, as always, for reading Collider.com. And we will see you two weeks from today on The Snyder Cut. Stay Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, but I said Mr. Worldwide. You already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from negative to positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at negative to positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken and you know, that's fire. Now, Babo, you know that you could get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on negative to positive, we always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how our life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from negative to positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast, Podcast One, Spotify. We'll get back to your music shortly, but first, did you know that prescription prices are different at different pharmacies? You could literally drive across the street and get a different price. That's crazy. But with GoodRx, you can instantly compare prices at every pharmacy in your neighborhood and save up to 80%. You're probably thinking there's a catch, right? Nope. It's 100% free and can save you money whether you have insurance or not. In fact, it can often beat your copay. Download the GoodRx app today and start saving. GoodRx is not insurance.